If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, September 11th, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Today is what I call a lull day because we will spend the day looking back at the attacks of September 11th, 2001. We need you. That's good. That takes up a lot of news coverage. And that huge, earth-shattering, unprecedented hurricane, Irma, turned out to be, yes, huge and earth-shattering, but not unprecedented. Totally with precedent. It was a hurricane. It was an especially windy hurricane, but Florida got prepared, got out of the way, certainly suffered. There was death, but it was a hurricane. It was far from the worst. Here's Eric Holthouse writing in Rolling Stone a couple days ago. The storm that meteorologists have been nervously tracking for days is now on the doorstep of America's most vulnerable state. What's coming is unlike anything that's happened before. This article was titled, Hurricane Irma is on track to change the course of Florida history. Subhead, America's most vulnerable state is bracing for impact from an unnatural machine built for destroying whatever is in its path. But it was natural. And it was actually like things that happened before. And Florida will survive. It was a bad hurricane. Now it's a tropical storm. Next. Well, next is tomorrow. And tomorrow will be the release of Hillary Clinton's memoir. It will dominate news coverage. How do I know? Because she already released three, four paragraphs a couple weeks ago. And that dominated news coverage. It was the part about Trump stalking her at the debate like a prey in the night. And Hillary considering, but ultimately eschewing, adopting the eye of the tiger. So take a breath today and join me in the spiel as I take on a subject that has become a hearty perennial of the Trump presidency, daughter Ivanka, glorious flaxen-haired goddess of insightful moderation, or one step below QVC pitch woman. But first, are you ready for some football players acting triumphs? Okay, I got you with that one. I got you with the end around. You bit on the okey-doke in a way that Namdi Asamoah never would. Asamoah was one of the very best defensive players in the NFL as recently as a few years ago. He retired. He took up acting and producing to great effect. And he is here to talk about his latest film, Crown Heights. I have a friend who's in jail for a murder he didn't commit. He's been locked up for more than 15 years now and we can't get no justice for him. Everything we do comes up short and he's got no fight left in him. I'll work for free if you take a look at his case. Do you have his court records? Yeah. Okay. Bring everything you have next time you come. I got it all in my car right now. Crown Heights is the story of a falsely accused man. And interestingly, 
His best friend who worked for years to get him out of jail. It is based on a true story, a story that originally appeared on This American Life. The movie is starring Namdi Asamoah, who is an NFL veteran and... You know, there was some debate. Was he the best corner in the NFL? I'm a Jets fan. I have to say Daryl oh, Revis was up. that's why there yeah, was debate. There's a little debate. Because you're a Jets <laughs> I love how you Not the that awesome was here. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we'll get to Crown Heights, but okay, while we're at it, Revis was a great shutdown corner. He would stick on one person the whole game. Wouldn't you kind of just erase a portion of the field more? Didn't you play a little bit different than Revis played off the ball and then hawk to it? Yeah, most yeah. most of the time we it was basically you take care of this half of the field and then my teammate on the other side would take care of that half, but then depending on if it was like a, you know, big stud, then it would be okay, follow him around. So it, it varied based on who we were playing. I asked pitchers this question. I was a sports reporter for 10 years. There's always oh. one batter who flummoxes them. them. Was there one receiver, maybe not even the greatest receiver, but was there one receiver who always gave you a little more trouble than people would think? I love how you said maybe not even the greatest because when I was coming up in the league, yeah. it was a lot of the guys that were maybe the third or fourth receiver. Like in my first two years, it was the third or fourth receiver mm-hmm. that I would have trouble with for some reason. But then when once I started to get the hang of it is that because he was like the little slot receiver and you're big and use your size well and he could like sneak under you and be crafty that little third guy no there just wasn't a lot of tape on the 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 fourth guy you know the third or fourth guy so you couldn't really study anything and that was that was how i really made my living was just with the preparation but then once i got the hang of it there were a lot of guys that were challenging i I think playing with randy moss and, and having to see him every day that was a good challenge for a young me. Yeah. It helps to have a great receiver on your team. To, yeah. Uh, probably, you probably helped him, too. Yeah, definitely. And I came in the league with Jerry Rice and Tim Brown on my team. So Not bad. Yeah. But so would I, they want to give you tips, or was it more like, why am I giving a defensive back tips? I know he's on my team this year, but in free agency, he could be going against me next year. They would not give tips <laughs> verbally to to me at all. You know, And I came in thinking that that was going to be the yeah, case. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even teammates on the defensive side wouldn't give tips you know, in that sort of way. But you learn by basically being in the fire and going against these guys day after day. So let's talk about Crown Heights. How'd you come to the material? Our director, Matt Ruskin, made this wonderful five-minute documentary of Colin and Carl, the the two guys um, that the film is based on, and he was passing it around and letting people know what he was doing, and eventually it made its way to me, and I just reached out for the script. And once I got the script, I asked if I could audition, and then I'd say a month later, he let me audition, and and then I became a part of it. It's a strong part of the story that these guys are Trinidadian. And therefore, I suppose you you wanted to tell the real story. You didn't really want to tell a story based or loosely based on it. You wanted to tell the real story as close as you could. You had to do the accent, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even talking to the guys, there's no just hearing them talk, there's no way you would want to go in and sound like, uh, an American right. doing this role because it's just not going to do the same justice for it. So we got a, a dialect coach who's actually in the film, a native Trinidadian uh, American, and he helped us out for a few weeks pretty much every day so that we could get it down as close to the Trinidadian as possible. You grew up, are your parents first generation American? They, uh, they, they are, were they born in Nigeria? Uh, they were yeah, born let's in count Nigeria. The generations. Well, I don't even know what's, yeah. yeah, they were born in Nigeria. They moved to the US in the 70s. So did they have accents? Oh yeah. 
heavy. They couldn't even do American accents if they tried. Like, Whereas growing up in a house with accents and you probably without trying are unaccented, but I bet you could lapse into, I don't want to get it right, it's probably not Nigerian, it's Igbo. Igbo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it helps, yeah. you know, because you just de- you develop an ear for it without even knowing you're developing an ear for it. I've always been fascinated by accents and how many different voices I can try to do. Yeah, do you, do you do impressions also? The impressions is the one thing I can't do. It's very difficult for me to do. I mean, I, I don't want to say I can't do it, but it's it's difficult. There's nothing that comes to me, I think, that there's nothing that comes to me on the fly. Uh-huh. Everything I have to train for, and I ha- and it's going to take a little bit of time, and then eventually I'll get there. But I'm not one of these quick learners. With school, with athletics, with everything? With everything. I have, there's, there's not one thing that I can think of in life where it just came you know, automatic. Do you think you have acting gifts? And here's why I ask. I know you worked at it. We talked about working at the accents, but you're not a guy who went to who trained to be an actor. You haven't been acting for 20 years. You started acting, what, at the tail end of your football career? Yeah, halfway through, yeah. Okay, so um, it's been a but, couple years, and you really nailed this role in Crown Heights. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. I think, and that's the one thing that I was really crazy about. I just kept wondering, am I, do I need to go back to school for this? Because I'm such a researcher, and I'm yeah. such a, I try to do as much training and studying as possible and then throw things away when the time is is there and so i was like do i need to go back to school for this and do four years or something but i kept getting back from coaches that i would go to that you've got so much life experience already that you can use that in your acting so you don't have to necessarily go down that road if you were 18 or 20 and and getting into it Mm -hmm. then you know those are the ages where sure go back to school you know or find a master's program or something and and figure it out but life and and football really prepares you for everything that you're going to deal with as an actor okay so let's be specific talk about a scene in this film where you're playing a character going through something you've never gone through i assume trying to get their friend out of jail for this crime he didn't commit and then tapping into a real life experience what was the real life experience how did it play out in a scene in the movie so when i was i say between the ages of 13 and 16 i was arrested twice and both times for things i didn't do this was in los angeles uh, you know i'd spent a day in a holding cell both times but it it stays with you when something like that happens. And it's stayed with me ever since. And I've never even really talked about it. And, you know, there was a moment in the film where I'm sitting across from Keith or Colin and he's kind of, you know, he's saying, you know, he's, he's fed up and he's at his wits end. And he says, you know, why are you still doing this? And he starts, you know, getting mad at me. Yeah. Why do you care so much? You have yeah. your family. All he's upset thing. that you're throwing your life away too. Why are you still at this, man? You got your family, you got your job, you got your life. You know, why you, why you keep wasting your time on me? It's not just about you. It's bigger than that. It could be me in here. And 
when I was working with my coach, Eden um, Bernardi, who sadly passed away right when we finished shooting, mm. I told her about my experience. And she said, at this moment, when you're talking to Colin, when you say that this is bigger than you, this is about all of us. She said, you're talking to your 16 year old self. And that blew me away. You know, that was a clear example of just bringing in a life experience into the work and, and just letting it play out. And there's no amount of schooling that, that would have done that for me. How does an acting coach differ from a football coach fundamentally? Uh, hmm. I don't know how they, that they necessarily differ. I think both of them, they stress the technique of things and then they stress being in the moment and letting go of the technique and just trusting your instincts. So I, I if think they're good, that, if they're good coaches, if they're good coaches, yeah. that's absolutely right. But at your point in your acting career, you can choose to associate yourself with good coaches. You, I would assume hired your coach. What do you do on a football team when you're stuck with someone who you don't think is a good coach who isn't connecting with you? Let's be charitable. Well, hopefully you've had enough experience at the time to where you can sort of lean on some of the things that you've learned along the way, if it happens to you early enough in your career, then best of luck to you. Cause that's going <laughs> to be, it's going to be tough to, to get through. But if you have some years under it, maybe you can just lean on what you've already learned, but that's a very tough thing. Because it makes you vulnerable. If, if you got a bad high school or college coach, you might not go on to the next level. And if you have a bad pro coach, <clears throat> your careers are so short and there are no guaranteed contracts and they could use you wrong. And maybe someone of slightly less skill is out of the league just because they weren't coached right. It happens all the time. That's always a very difficult thing as a player and as you know, a teammate to see happen. I would also assume a football coach at certain points says, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. And I've only had football coaches. I've never had an acting coach, but I don't know that acting coaches have are that didactic about right and wrong. Some of them are. Yeah. Some of them are. It's. Uh, Does that work for you? Do you respond to that? It doesn't because the first maybe year and a half that I was in the league, I was trying to play the same way that. Either I was taught or that I saw other people playing. Mm -hmm. And at the cornerback position, I realized in my third year that you need to develop your own sense of comfort, your own skill, your own style. You know, and when you look at the best corners that have played the game, they're all very distinct. They have a distinct style. I mean, or at least... I can say that they have a distinct style because I've studied them and I can watch within one second. If you blacked out um, their numbers, I could tell you who the corner is. There and are probably some actors like that who are such forces of nature. And it would seem to an outsider that, well, can you really model yourself on like a Philip Seymour Hoffman, the guy's so great. And yet at the same time, I bet you could take something from him. Yeah, you can always take a little bit. There's always something to take, but it's the moment when you start imitating yes. that you start going backwards, you right. know, and it's it, it's the same thing for football. That's how I learned going into acting that I wasn't going to copy the best people. You know, I'll watch them and appreciate them and can learn something. Really, the thing that I learn is that you really can transform when it's good acting. You really can transform into someone else. You know, it's not. It doesn't look like acting, you know, and oh. it, that's and yeah. isn't that the best? Yeah. I mean, that's it's the absolute best. And I have three films that I always go back to 
whenever I just want to just be in love with acting. One of them is Goodfellas because I don't think there's a false moment in that entire film. And I don't care who it is. It could be like the young Henry yeah, or it could be, you know, the oldest guy that, that shows up. you know, it or doesn't the guy in the FBI who takes his pinky and just tastes. The yeah. Coke yeah. The, go, yeah. Exactly. Says, I got you. Exactly. That one moment. Is exactly. Yeah. That's right. The or babysitter, G- the, 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 the guy in the, the kid in the wheelchair is stirring. That's the right. Pasta. Jimmy two times. I yeah, mean, yeah, all these guys, yeah, it's yeah. just like, it's, it's just perfect. And, and that's what I sort of gravitate. What towards. are your other two? The other two are Boys in the Hood for me, Malcolm X. The, it, there's just, there just aren't any false moments in those three. And they all came out around the same time. So Yeah, early 90s. Yeah, the early 90s, yeah. yeah. So they all kind of hit me in a certain way. And it's well, How just, old were you then? I'm doing uh, So Boys in the Hood, we snuck into Boys in the Hood. So you were like 16? I was... Eight or nine? Oh, oh, oh! You were you were a boy in the hood. Although yeah, not the hood. We're yeah. in LA. Right? No, in LA. You're yeah, in right hood. in the hood. This is why it uh, it struck me so much. Oh man! But yeah, that that age around, you know, all of those films. Okay, I just want to uh, go back and pull a couple threads. When you did get arrested, were you let go, exonerated? How did it play out? Yeah, I. Um, so one of them, I was just. It's something we called driving while black. Yeah, um, I got pulled over, and the cop said that I stole the car. Um, I told him that I didn't; that it's my mom's car. He said, "Well, you know, you you don't look like the type of guy that should be driving a car like this." It was like a '96 Nissan Maxima. Yeah, got me out of the car. He checked the car, and I didn't know this, but the car was licensed to my mom's business, mm-hmm. and it wasn't to her name. So, you know, he comes back and he says, you did steal this car. You lied to me, calls his back up, you know, pulls me out of the car, puts me in cuffs and arrests me, takes me down to the station. And, you know, I was just I was in there for a day. Finally, they let me go because they they finally like reached my mom or someone that could could vouch for me. And then I was out of there. But we you know, it was both times that happened. We we fought them and, you know. We won uh, in court, which is like a little, a little small fee. And then the guy, the cops got, you know, reassigned to mm-hmm. different districts. Could that have made your entire future? Isn't that crazy? I mean, it could have scared colleges away. Isn't that crazy? You could have got the reputation of, I don't know, brushes right. with the law. That's right. I could see why it would connect with Crown Heights. Yeah. 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 Because but for a couple of bad breaks especially visited upon vulnerable people, the outcome of life would be so different. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was tough for Colin. In Colin's situation, they were more interested in, in a conviction than they were in the truth. Yeah. And that's, anytime you got kids in that situation, like it's a, it's a lose-lose. Namdi Asamoa, he is the star and a producer of Crown Heights. It is in select theaters now, and on September 15th, it will be released in even more theaters. Namdi, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Hang up and listen. It is a show that I know something about. I used to be on that show every week. Now I'm on the show just this week in one segment. But Josh Levine and Stefan Fatsis, they are there. They're exploring the intersection between sports and society with conversations and interviews you won't hear anywhere else. What it really does is it talks about sports in a way that you care. Download and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. You get a new episode every Monday. Like today, I'll be on there talking about the Red Sox Apple phone uh, sign stealing 
scandal? You want to call it a scandal? And we'll play our old game, gamesmanship or cheating. That's hang up and listen. I literally never miss an episode. And now the spiel. Ivanka Trump is pretty and poised and skilled at PR-centric palaver. She mouths middle-of-the-road platitudes to convince her middle-of-the-road customer base that their interests are her interests. And as a businesswoman, that certainly is one factor in success. She has associated her brand with business attire, also jewelry and footwear, that a lot of people find genuinely appealing. Great. That's great. The question is, does she offer any sage insight on the world beyond what pump looks good with what peacoat while holding what clutch? And I'm not putting those things down. Branding and eye for design, marketing, they're all part of what makes a successful business. And it seems she has leveraged her considerable advantages in life to head a successful business. I also don't fault her for making her products in China. That's where you make American-sold garments. That's how it's done. And I also don't really blame her for veering towards meaninglessness in an effort to balance the favor of her volatile father on the one hand and the desires of her customer base on the other hand. But how anyone could put any stock in the wisdom, the insight, or the world outlook of Ivanka Trump is beyond me. She has a Venn diagram of Sheryl Sandberg plus Donald Trump, allowing for the fact that Sheryl Sandberg had actual tech insight and that Donald Trump made his wealth in New York real estate, which turns out is a much easier market over the last 40 years than American-made garments. I can understand being ensorcelled by Ivanka Trump's platitudinous style if you are so inclined to be. The Chinese call her goddess Ivanka. But for the critically thinking citizen... Such credulity is impossible, and these are for the citizens even who may have hashtag leaned in or future is female or girl power or girl rising or dove speaks beautiful or pantines shine strong or any other slogan from the slag heap of Twitter history. Is Ivanka Trump complicit? Turns out she doesn't even know the meaning of the word. No, really, she doesn't know. If being complicit is wanting to is wanting to be a force for good and to make a positive impact, then I'm complicit. Well, that's not what being complicit is, but I do agree with your ultimate conclusion. Now, there's a reason I wanted to bring up this woman who has advanced to her exalted status due to her smarts, her achievement, just due to meritocracy. You know, she took advantage of an opportunity available to any American who works hard, who plays by the rules, and who knows to call the president daddy. She's so good. She wanted to make the trip. She said, Dad, can I go with you? She actually said, Daddy, can I go with you? I like that, right? Like I said, there is a reason. Right now, today, I want to mention the golden-haired heiress. It's because I usually read liberals dissing Ivanka, sort of like uh, what I did right now, okay? But I don't often hear an intellectual defense of her role coming from conservative circles. But then, two days ago in the Times, Ross Douthat put a positive case forward for Ivanka. Here's how the piece began. About six months ago, Ivanka Trump made an offer to Cecile Richards, the head of Planned Parenthood. The first daughter had pressed her father to say positive things about Planned Parenthood during the 2016 campaign. And now she had a proposal for the organization's leader. What if Planned Parenthood split up, creating a small operation that ran abortion clinics and a larger one whose health clinics didn't perform abortions? 
Then her father would call for increasing funding to the larger operation instead of joining with congressional Republicans in their efforts to defund Planned Parenthood entirely. Duthot went on to say, as a political idea, a way of rethinking the whole Planned Parenthood debate, it reminded me of Ivanka's father's 2016 approach to many questions, the Trumpian habit of ignoring the ideological assumptions around that issue. And he went on to say such a proposal would be potentially very popular among the country's not as ideological majority. So Ross used the word Trumpian, and it is Trumpian in that it casts aside assumptions. You know why? Because assumptions assume quite often that a person knows basic facts about an issue. In the same way that Trump's idle musings about reverting to a two-China policy cast aside assumptions, or his decision to dive headfirst into healthcare as a legislative issue before later admitting nobody knew how it could be so complicated, that was a casting aside of assumptions. The idea that Planned Parenthood would serve its own interest by spinning off into two entities, one that provided services unobjectionable to those who hate Planned Parenthood, the other consisting only of services that people who hate Planned Parenthood want to target, that is a crazy, stupid idea. Let me explain why from both the pro-life and the pro-choice side. A pro-choice advocate might rightly point out that there's really no difference in helping a woman with family planning, no matter what the form the family planning takes. A pro-choice person would say abortions, while not something to take lightly, are also not something to be ashamed of, to secret away, to quarantine, to isolate, and therefore expose at the suggestion of your political enemy. And by the way, we're not taking ideas from a self-proclaimed supporter who is the public face of and literally has the blood of your political enemies running through her veins. Planned Parenthood adheres to the law, by the way. It doesn't commingle abortion funds with other funds, and it's not currently subsidized by the government to perform abortions. So why would it possibly act on a suggestion that would clearly imperil its existence, the health of women, and limit women's access to abortion? Planned Parenthood understands this fight in a way that Ivanka Trump clearly does not. Now, from the other side, let me do this. Let me articulate a denunciation of Ivanka's plan, Ivanka's stupid, naive plan that if you're a pro-life advocate, you'd even understand. Asking Planned Parenthood to separate abortions from health services is like asking Hezbollah to separate rocket facilities from civilian populations. It's like asking a bank robber to helpfully separate himself from a human shield. It's like asking the mafia to separate its illegal heroin profits from its you know front operations selling calzones. It's like asking Donald Trump to helpfully itemize his income so we could see which part is dues from Mar-a-Lago and what was funded by the Iranian National Guard in Baku. I think maybe a pro-life advocate could identify with some of those examples and realize it is a stupid, stupid idea. And this is, this is what's holed out as refreshing, as upending business as usual, an idea that was trotted out, the first and in fact the only idea that was trotted out in defense of Ivanka's acumen or instincts or anything other than her asinine ignorance. And I want to make this other aside. Remember, the House bill included Planned Parenthood total defunding in their version of health care reform. And this was so opposed by Senators Murkowski and Collins that it greatly influenced their ultimate vote against the bill. They were two of the three votes on the Republican side in the Senate that damned the bill. 
The Ivanka masterstroke goes like this. Hey, Planned Parenthood, would you consider helpfully weakening your position to provide an easy out for even right-thinking abortion opponents? It's insane. It's incoherent. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ivanka. And that's it for today's show. If complicit means just producer Mary Wilson has an abiding fondness for the Washington Post circa 1993, then yes, Mary Wilson is complicit. If complicit means finding out you're a ginger only upon growing out your facial hair, then Dan Schrader is complicit. If complicit means you were born without a tongue but can eat like a horse and whistle like a bird, then by gum executive producer of Slate Podcast Steve Lichtai is complicit. The gist. If complicit comes from the Latin complicare to fold together with a root in the Proto-European plec to plate, then Jared Kushner has a midtown office tower he overpaid for that he'd like to sell you. And yeah, they're all complicit. Umpuru, depuru, dupuru, and thanks for listening.